0: Hello and welcome to Pod of the Gaps, the podcast that seeks to fill the gap between Christianity, culture, apologetics, theology and all sorts of other topics with a healthy dose of banter. My name is Michael Otts and I'm joined as ever by the amazing apologist Andy Bannister, the thoughtful theologian Aaron Edwards and the extroverted evangelist myself. Uh, I've just got back from Spain a few days ago and off to Greece in a few days' time, so it's great to be travelling. Andy, I hear you're off somewhere. Yeah, I love Surely. that, but that,
1: that, that you you, know, you and I are the international kind of jet-setting men of Mistra and Aaron just gets to go to various parts of Derbyshire. But I am. Um, <laughs> I, I say that, how is it you get the warm places? Because you've just had Spain <laughs> and Greece, <laughs> and this weekend I get, wait for it, I get Norway. I'm in a wonderful country, <laughs> wonderful people, But this time of year, not the country I would necessarily think of.
0: What are you doing in Norway, Andy?
1: Well, I'm doing. Uh, I'm speaking for some university events out there, doing a sort of mini kind of mission, and uh, mm. and enjoying a bit of Scandinavian hospitality. My wife is half Swedish, half half Norwegian, uh, and stuff. So we know Sweden quite well. Drive a Volvo, you know, mm. build IKEA furniture. Uh, but this will actually be my first time, I think, actually in in Oslo. So yeah, you went to, you went to Norway, but it was a, it wasn't it wasn't a trip that ended in grave disappointment for you.
0: Well, it was because you see. Um, uh, Norway is home to lots of things. Apparently, uh, the most famous invention that Norwegians have come up with is a cheese slicer. Um, yeah, So, like, you know, the Swedes have uh, you know, Volvos and uh, Ikea. The Norwegians have cheese slicers. But they also have, of course, Norwegian jumpers. Yes. And uh, so I, I did numerous missions in Norway. And every time I would drop these kind of hints as to what might be a lovely thank you present to get me at the end. And all I ever got was a cheese slicer and uh and then one year i couldn't go to speak at this particular mission so i recommended a friend of mine who was working with me that year and she went to speak at the mission week and of course she came back after her first mission week in norway with a norwegian jumper so uh and if uh the listeners are wondering why i didn't just buy a norwegian jumper that's because things in norway are incredibly expensive so a jumper like you'd need to take out a small mortgage to buy one uh if you're british at least But you may be wondering, listeners, why we're talking about Scandinavia. It's not just because um, Andy is going there, uh, but also because um, it is, of course, a tenuous link into today's topic. Uh, Today, we are thinking about the question, how different are men and women? And actually, as we think about gender differences, as we think about equality between sexes, um, often it is the Scandinavian countries that are put up as the champions of equality and egalitarianism. And so we want to discuss that question today. How different are men and women? Um, Are the differentiations that we see perhaps in certain subjects at universities or uh, in certain uh, professions evidence of injustice? um, Or are they evidence of real differences between um, men and women? Um, So that's what we're going to be thinking about. Um, Andy, Mm. on this question... um, it's quite unpopular, isn't it? Would you say um, to suggest that, at least above the neck, that there are any fundamental differences between men and women? Um, would you, would, you would, would that be the hunch in terms of like our society?
1: I think so. I think um, we often talk on this podcast, don't we, about you know what is the topic that if we if we discuss it like we like to, um, what is the gap that as we as we explore it, it turns out the reason there's a gap and people have avoided it is because there are a bunch of landmines there, and boom, we've gone and we've. Got ourselves cancelled, and I think oh, today are we edging it because yeah, you're right. There is this idea, isn't there, uh, in culture that uh, that that you know, men, I was going to say actually that men and women are 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 totally, are basically identical apart from one or two mm-hmm. biological bits. But of course, you know, with the, some of the mm-hmm. transgender stuff we've talked about before, even that I think has now has now gone. Things that you might have, you know, once sort of gone well, okay, well they're identical, but but, but women have a cervix. they um, okay, well, that's now up for <laughs> debate um kind of kind of right mm-hmm. um in fact somebody after the bond episode somebody emailed me to say hey if the next bond is james is the next bond james bond is transgender transgender you know maybe the first bond episode of the new new franchise will be on her majesty's secret cervix um which i <laughs> thought that was actually quite kind of funny but um no so there is this idea uh, there's constant move to everything is, is everything is, is is identical and that women and women become interchangeable parts and I think there's a number of th- what fascinates me, and we may get into this. I think there's a number of things that have have have, have driven that. Ironically, I think theology has partly driven that, even though society won't necessarily realise that. I think the church has been partly responsible for forgetting how to talk well uh, about gender. Um, then there's been confusion in today's age of gender and sex. Even we use out the word gender right now. I'm not convinced gender exists. Sex exists. Ask a doctor. You know, ma- uh, uh, human beings are sexually dimorphic. They're a male and female. I'm not sure the term gender is necessarily helpful um secondly of course there's been there's been economic arguments this desire to i think go oh gosh you know how do we make sure that that men and women in the workplace doing identical jobs earn the same amount of money mm-hmm. um and then of course there's equally been the drive to see human beings as purely economic units so we don't think about sort of you know masculinity and femininity in terms of the traditional roles where it was the the man who usually not always but usually was the one who went out and 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 the money and the woman was the homemaker and the raiser of the of the of, of the kids. Um, well, now you know we live in an age where actually the government don't want anybody being at home and raising the kids. They want you know the kids in the in the factory farm state system school system. We talked about that in the homeschool episode, and they want both parents out in the marketplace earning so they can pay tax and contribute to the great economic machine. And I think that piece has also driven. A lot of what mm. we think about gender, and I think the big thing that fascinates me is, yeah, Aaron, you're right. Everybody today thinks men and women are basically the same, but if you ask people why are they the same, you know, why have you got to that thinking? What's led you there? Mm. I think most people have just been told, well, of course that's what you believe, and why would you even dream of asking otherwise? And I think one of the things I like doing as a philosopher, I guess, is lifting the lid on those cultural assumptions and going, okay, what's behind the assumption? Uh, and that's something I we will probably get into on this episode.
0: Mm.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, there's there's I mean, I think there's various as you say, Andy, there's just, there's not only um things that people haven't diagnosed, as you say, like the economic factors, sociological factors, there are also, I think, sociological myths around it as well. So the way that this topic is usually spoken of, the assumption is that the really bad problem in our Western society is that um we overplay the differences. I often hear that and I just think what planet are you living on or what culture are you watching or listening to? That is not the situation we're in where we, where we so accentuate the differences where we're deliberately uh, trying to, to kind of make fit a square peg into a round hole or something and and try to kind of make our ideology fit when it doesn't. I I think it's more likely to be the other way (laughs) that we're starting to, well, people increasingly find it difficult to keep the narrative going Mm. that men and women are, um, Yeah, as you say, virtually the same um, uh, in in the key aspects that are there. There's there's nothing really that we can um, point to that would suggest otherwise because it's so difficult to do that and because it gets people in hot water when they do. Mm -hmm. And all of these things are so charged politically. Mm -hmm that as as you say and and economically and other things that it does mean that speaking about it at all is difficult and it probably has meant that most people just think you know i have this opinion i have it at the back of my head and that's where it's going to stay because Mm -hmm. it's just not worth getting into the hot water over it and there's too much that would need to you know that society is moving in a certain direction and we have to kind of roll with it and go with it and um not lose our jobs over it when really i think that in the long run maybe we'll get into this there are mm. massive implications of the of us thinking obtusely about mm. gender and thinking it just mm. won't make much of a difference if we just pretend that mm. um yeah, the men and women are virtually the same in, except for
1: plumbing as it were mm. <laughs> are you <laughs> saying that except for plumbing are you saying that therefore what men can be plumbers and women can't is that <laughs> yeah
2: making not- a really it's a really sexist you know comment about you know yeah <laughs> certain kinds of manual labor that's why right. plumbers actually get paid loads you know they i think more women could get into plumbing they'd they'd bring yeah. a lot into the economy we years you know, ago had a brilliant
1: brilliant plumber he was he was spanish so i guess that was a case of manuel labor
0: <laughs> look
2: at this <laughs> the pierce so, brosnan of the con of the uh podcast
1: would get would get a, get that a bad pun territory
0: yeah i'm just i'm not going to even refer to it um i guess one of the reasons as well why um, people are hesitant to talk about differences is because we then want to preserve equality of, of importance, and we'll come back to that later. Mm-hmm. So, if we start saying that there are fundamental differences, um, then does that mean that some people, that, you know, one sex is more important and, and, and so on? And so, um, we'll come back to that. But a fascinating book I've been reading over the last week is by a guy called Charles Murray called Human Diversity. Um, biological differences between gender, race and class, which are three massively controversial issues that he's looking at. Now, Charles Murray um, courted a lot of controversy for an earlier book called The Bell Curve. But actually what he's trying to do is just say from a scientific point of view, from a biological point of view, um, looking at the evidence, is there a difference um, between uh, men and women, um, particularly from the neck up? And what's interesting is he says the assumption is, the assumption of the orthodoxy is that Basically, if there are differences, they are sociologically formed. They're because of injustices, because of um, uh, the problem of our culture that we live in. And if we could build a completely fair and equal society, then we would find you know, equal take up of courses at universities and equal representation in different professions and so on. And what's fascinating in the book, and this comes back to Scandinavia, which is where we started, is that in the Scandinavian countries, which are arguably some of the most equal societies where there are the least obstacles for women to get into different courses or professions, we find actually the most marked differentiation is mm-hmm. as you get more equality um, and more opportunity, you don't find um, yeah. that you get this kind of equal differentiation, mm-hmm. uh, which would indicate potentially um, that there is a fundamental difference here. Um, that if you take away all the barriers, you don't suddenly find that, you know, men and women choose exactly the same things and do exactly the same things. Take away the barriers. And interestingly, actually, I um talked about my wife being a pilot before, the country in the world that has the most number of female pilots, it's not Scandinavia, it's not Norwegian air or whatever, um, is India. And he's saying actually one of the things he says in the book is that fascinatingly, if you live in a country where there's great poverty, um, there is a great motivation to get into certain professions um, that will lift you out of poverty. So if you have any ability to be able to get into that, then you are going to do that. Even if it wasn't your kind of primary desire, um, you might do that. Um, And he says, but interestingly, in other societies where actually there is a, a greater range of professions open that won't kind of land you in poverty, People choose generally what they really want to do, mm. as opposed to what is mes- perhaps most economically advantageous for them, uh, because the risks are not so great. And interestingly, where there is that opportunity and equality, we find the mark difference increases, which is mm. which is fascinating.
2: It's interesting as well that those stu- like studies when they it's not been easy for people to do studies on mm. gender difference, because scientific studies often require funding, and as we've heard, there's many many organisations. There was someone who. Mm. Um, yeah, re- there's a kind of high-up scientist, I forget the exact organisation, mm. who had a high-profile kind of resignation. He was a director um, mm. because he realised that they weren't doing science, they were doing politically motivated. Mm. Political motivation was coming in um, and they weren't allowing certain people to speak or to speak into something because of their mm. political view, despite you know, despite their science uh, science research. And so that's interesting when it comes to gender because like, who's going to give you several million dollars or whatever to mm. go and do a certain study, which actually they don't want to happen or they don't want to pursue because even the to be seen to pursuing Mm. it to pursue it is seen as problematic in inverted commas because that's and that's the term we use all the time for anything that sort of triggers isn't it and so Mm. i think there's there's a real problem of narrativizing we create a narrative Mm. um of what's true and an ideology we've talked about on this show a lot um and we just say this is the case you just don't get to question this and so you don't Mm. so it's, it's interesting how that yeah, rubs up against some of the secular scientific sort of tendencies. Mm. Even just to say, look, we want to be objective. Whether that's even possible, we want to be objective in how we look at something, which is what how the kind of modern science has, has developed. And you look at Scandinavia as an example. It's interesting. Obviously, that's the place where yeah, they deliberately mm. will raise um, more likely that uh, people, children going to be raised, um, you know, without recourse to gender in, in any way, mm. or the the idea of gender stereotype, which is perhaps a separate yeah. thing, mm. um, and. Yeah, and as though you can raise a child and say, I don't have an idea. Previously, there were ideas of patriarchy which said that mm. men had to be doing this because it served men better to be in the top positions to tell women what to do and earn the most money and lead in society. Mm. Um, so the women, therefore, are going to be trained from a young age to follow a different stereotype, which is more maternal. And that's an idea that we've now decided is not possible or not true. Um, and now we're going to raise them neutral. As though that isn't an idea. As though you, you can raise children and and tell them to go against what is often natural instincts, and mm. say actually no, um, all of those previous ideas were just fabricated, and we're now not we're not fabricating anything. We're just taking something away, mm. as though you're not clearly you're, you're building an even greater edifice, a greater narrative, mm. and telling them and really mm. trying to push it against uh, what many people see as reality. So I mm-hmm. think we're into all sorts of confusions here about the that. You know,
1: disjunction between narrative and, and idea there mm-hmm. and reality. Mm-hmm. I, think, I, think I agree with all of all of that. And as I say, it was it's interesting how how the sort of Scandinavian countries are such a focus for this. And I, you know, before even I was aware of some of the, the bigger philosophical questions here, because I've got you know family over there, you know, and I began sort of picking up on some of this. Is it is it is interesting? I mean, the most the, the the two that really struck me. And what's interesting, the same the same stat holds true over over here. Is that when you look at, say, primary school teaching, you know that's that's a mm-hmm. profession that is incre- is increasingly very, very, very feminine, and it is certainly in the in the Nordic countries, Scandinavian countries, mm-hmm. is over here. And then say computer programming, uh, where again um, where the reverse holds true. That despite mm-hmm. all the attempts to get a higher mm-hmm. take up, there are some brilliant women programmers. No one's here saying there aren't, but across mm-hmm. the across the whole, and it does seem to be mm-hmm. there is something that when you remove all the constraints, that something bubbles along underneath and what i find fascinating is the way that we is that as a society i think you know you described there the way that the the prejudice can come through in terms of not allowing the science it can also come through in terms of sort of force trying to force certain outcomes this is not a new thing i mean my my mother sort of tells the story with great delight that when she was at you know school in the 60s and uh you know the school she went to was quite you know was, was quite feminist and progressive and stuff all liked it or, or thought it's itself that and so you know there was the careers classes encouraging young young women to to think about their career and you know uh, they went around the class on one occasion and asked all the different students what they wanted to do and all these women young women had different ideas and my mother was like well i actually want to get married and have kids and she said that like the the, the, the the firestorm of criticism she got from from her teachers of going well that you just can't do that you almost it's yeah. almost as if you were somehow letting the side down and it's like but well, yeah. oh, hang on I thought the whole idea is that you choose and for her that's what she wanted to be she' would always wanted to be a to be to be a mum and then the last thing I think last comment on 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 this on just on this angle like why I find fascinating all this folks is the way that the you know the philosophy the i suppose the secular sort of you know the science and the and the theology actually converge in a way that is quite awkward for the bigger narrative in society because look if you take a purely biological approach to this if we just look at this through the through the lens of say evolutionary theory we don't question it we just take the standard evolutionary narrative of going well okay Men have evolved to be stronger, um, you know, biologically, because females are slightly biologically, slightly physically weaker, because they're designed for child raising, all this kind of stuff. And so, some of those sex differences, and then what comes out of them, are pretty hard to get away from. You've got hundreds yeah. of thousands, millions of years of evolution lying behind them. On the other hand, over on the other side, we have the theological view that says that you know, my my reading of scripture would certainly be. That there are yet that there are sex differences. That God created human beings male and female. Genesis could simply have said God created humanity, but it doesn't. Right at the beginning is that idea that actually there is male and there's female. There's a complementarity there. Those two things are designed to, to 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 fit together. And Scripture has huge amounts to say, but differences are baked in. And therefore, if you're going to try and eliminate difference, you know whether you're a secular individual, you're going to bump up against biology. And I think whether you're a Christian, you're going to bump up against you're going to bump up against scripture so almost like you've got nowhere to run
0: in, in in one sense absolutely and that's one of the things charles murray picks up in the book actually is just saying you know given what we know if you're going to take it from a kind of secular evolutionary point of view given what we know about evolution like it's totally like like an, a logical conclusion to make that we would expect that evolution would cause men and women to evolve differently if you think about it um, differences historically and as you say theologically there's obviously a clear differentiation I guess two areas of pushback um, that people might have at this point is to say um well clearly there have been sociological barriers um for particularly women in in our culture um in certain areas and I don't think what we're saying today is that we want to discount that like there there have been you know and there have been massive battles to fight um to bring about gender equality so you know think of um as a fascinating film made in Dagenham. Uh, which talks about the fight of women to get equal pay because they were at that stage it was legally allowed to pay a woman to do less for the same job that a man was doing, and and that led to the equal pay act. I think back in nineteen sixty something, I need to get the date rights. Um, so, so there have been battles to fight, um, uh, but actually, again, one of the things Charles Murray is saying is that you know um, just because there isn't complete. Um, equal numbers in every profession doesn't mean that we should still say that there are sociological barriers there may also be biological differences uh, fundamental differences and again one of the other pushbacks is whatever it's very interesting i was chatting to someone in the pub after church on sunday night about this and uh, we were kind of talking about the book and and the first comeback is yeah but my mate john he he really liked primary school teaching Um or or yeah, I could do the same good. I'd be like, Well, my wife, she's an airline pilot, you know. So so we kind of immediately bring in the exception. So the moment we start saying, you know, men are generally perhaps, you know, relate you know, geared towards things and women are geared towards people, which is one Mm -hmm. of the differentiations that Charles Murray looks at, we'll pick up the exception and say, Well it's rubbish because so and so. And he uses a really helpful analogy. He just says, you know, think about height. You know, we know it's a fact that men on average are higher than taller than taller than women. Um, so, so if you go along and say, yeah, but, but here's Sarah and she's taller than John, <laughs> they say, well, you know, the stats are therefore disproved because we find one incidence of one per- you know, We're talking about on average. And and I think we're talking about here, you know, yeah. um, there is a spectrum mm-hmm. of interest and stuff. So we're not saying that no women would be like this yeah. or no men would be like this. But we're saying on well, average, men may be geared this way, wide this way. On average, women are wide this way. Therefore, we would expect to see... How that fleshes out in society that maybe more men would be in this profession or this profession and right. so on. Um, so, yeah, yeah sorry, come say,
1: back. Um, go on, Andy. I was going to say very quickly and then I'll let Aaron jump in. So it's yeah. interesting, you know, having a very slight stats background because I had to, I had to sort of you know brush up a lot of my statistics mm-hmm. for my PhD. So I, you know, were sort of slogging through the sort of stuff. Going, but uh, people's inability to understand things like averages and bell curves is is fascinating but on the average piece there was a fantastic survey done a few years ago and it's been, i mean it's been quite well reported so folks may have heard of it but there's stats that says that 75 percent of people who drive cars in the uk and i'm sure this would repeat for the us 75 percent mm. of them think they are above average in terms of their driving skills um which just for a moment goes you just think that, that boggles the mind just to th- process that through that to go Okay, that's interesting. So we misunderstand averages. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on the on the on the bell curve idea, that's the idea. If you take a population of people and kind of graph and chart them on a graph, you get this shape that looks like a a bell curve. So if you look at height, would be a good example of that. You know, the majority of of women, if you graph mm-hmm. the average height, the height of women across the number of, of the population, you know, the peak of that of that bell curve is somewhere around about sort of five seven something like that, five six five seven, I think for for UK women. But yeah, you get a few outliers at the other end. But another I sometimes use Michael is to go. You know, when you have a big enough population, you can always find. You can always find the exceptions. I mean, how many people in the world? I mean, it can't seriously can't be the case that there is anybody in the world who is both into you know uh, juggling uh, James Bond films and researching the history of the British Everest expeditions in the nineteen twenties. Um, I mean, I mean, statistically, what's the chance? Well, hello, and to go. I, you're looking at him or you're you're hearing him you know I have those mm-hmm. three interests i'm possible i maybe there's one or two others in the world mm-hmm. uh who have that intersection of, of interests if you plotted those put those things on a graph i'd be a statistical anomaly and so it is with mm-hmm. those other things of going you can mm-hmm. always find um you know those 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 outliers but as you know mm-hmm. as you talked about in previous episodes i think that what's the stat for for me, for female pilots i think you said your wife rebecca can quote oh, that
0: in pa it's 5%
1: so, there you go. So she's, you know, she's obviously very good at her job. She wouldn't be able, able to do what she does if she wasn't highly trained and, and brilliant, but she's, you know, one in 20 um, yeah. kind of thing. No, that's right.
2: I mean, I mean obviously I, I come, I have to sort of, you know, bat away all of these stereotypes about evangelists, jet-setting around the world, and then I say, no, actually, I, oh, no, actually, no, Michael and Andy do, do that, so I, I haven't got an exception there. Um, no, uh, but I, so I, just on the notion of the, of the um, yeah, the male-female difficulties, I've had to lecture on this. Um, I was asked to do a couple of lectures on, on masculinity mm. and femininity, which is a fascinating topic because mm. I, I don't think it's com- make people comfortable mm. talking. What is it that makes someone masculine or what does it make someone mm. feminine? And and we had to look at, you know, I showed the students some of the, firstly, I had to put about eight trigger warnings at the beginning of the lecture to say, <laughs> you know like, please don't like try to get me fired by just, just for talking about this stuff. But here's some of the stuff that we're observing that people have observed. So I pointed to various sort of statistical stuff and, um, these bell curves come up really really interestingly because obviously one of the things that most people will say even though in you know you could say with the transgender stuff in sport and with, and with the um, you know recent was it the uh, was it Keir Starmer the labor leader mm-hmm. refusing to answer whether a woman had a cervix or not um uh, whether that was okay to say that and um so we are getting a bit crazier by the day but Within physical differences, generally speaking, things like height and strength, people don't really argue. And they're like, oh, obviously, that's the first thing they say. Obviously, I'm not saying that as if that's their compromise in the debate. Hey, let me compromise. I think men are physically stronger on average than women. And you think, well, that's kind of ridiculously obvious. No culture anywhere would say that's not the case. It's not even a compromise in the debate. But what it gets really interesting is, obviously, we've got a history of societal patriarchy um, or mis- misogyny and chauvinism, which I don't think patriarchy always means that, but that's a whole other topic mm. we'll get into another time. But um let's say chauvinism, where men would see themselves as above women and therefore they shouldn't get paid as much, as you mentioned, Michael, in these various cases, shouldn't vote, this kind of thing, shouldn't be educated, because what's the point? Because they're less intelligent than men. There's sort of stereotypes about women. Now, I, the interesting thing is, if you took that bell curve on, on statistics, male brains are different to male, female brains. Mm. So we're not saying that. It's, it, it was stupid to then say, "Oh, that, that means that men are more intelligent than women." Actually, the bell curve is really interesting. Men are more extreme than women, hmm. and so the bell curve for men is flatter. And so there are far, there will always be. I think it's probably likely to, to be the case. Maybe I can't say this guarantee, but you will get the most genius people hmm. in the world will be men. The very, very most, the craziest extreme, but also the most stupid. <laughs> we get to say like we're the we we've got the cleverest, I and mean, also the absolute idiots. We we all get those as men. And we and have women both
1: t- things t- represented on this show, don't we? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> which is which?
2: That's right. And so so you do get this very strange thing. So there's almost like these women bunch to the smell. and that actually, in a way, replicates itself in other. In other sort of statistics, for example, why are there more, far more male criminals Mm -hmm. than female criminals? Why why are there, you know, obviously you have female prisons, but you do have statistically, men are more likely to commit crimes, men are more likely to commit suicide, men are more likely to be um, convicted of certain uh, extreme behaviour. Um, than women are and that's just really interesting as mm-hmm. something and it could mean completely nothing it could mean that we're oh we're just forced everyone the answer to everything today is whenever you bring something like that it's like well that's only because they everyone's been conditioned the men have been conditioned to be more extreme the women have been conditioned to be more sensible in some way but it goes into things like driving we were laughing earlier um about i didn't actually tell you the statistic that i'd, I'd read mm-hmm. about because uh, you what was your guess andy about about my my, um, my
1: theory of driving has long been an accident, right? Because for a long time, I think they leveled off a bit now. Women get cheaper insurance, and that used to that used to wind me up. And then I did the then I began drawing this conclusion, Aaron. My my theory of driving an accidents is that women have more car accidents, but they tend to have girly accidents. So they, you know, they they, <laughs> they nudge a bumper or whatever. Um, men have like disastrous wipeouts, and this is typified by our, illustrated in our, in our marriage. Astrid has had five or six car accidents over our twenty three year. Marriage, most have been. I bumped, I scraped the side of the car in the supermarket on a pillar or something. I have had one and I wiped out, I'd had a head on collision, wiped out two cars, closed the road for three hours. Um, wow. you know, so that was a kind of so that's my head theory. On, yeah. But me, so men actually cause more expense, but with a less that's number excellent. of accidents. So, so you are, are more tax that's right. You're a James
2: Bond kind of driver, so that could that could be what that is. But no, I so, so the stat is uh, it's actually incorrect. Men are in more accidents by far than women. Okay. Um, so women's insurance is cheaper for that statistical reason. They don't cause many accidents. Some mm-hmm. some did think that women cause more accidents, and there's an interesting interpretation on that, yeah. um, uh, which we could discuss or not. I don't know. But there's the a really interesting stat was that men are more guilty of reckless driving by a significant margin. For every mm-hmm. one woman that gets kind of convicted of reckless driving you get 3.41 men who are convicted of reckless driving so it's almost no so three and a half to one always um on that and then all all of the other stats again are always tipped towards the male um you get some some of the kind of differentials are are different when you get to different things like speeding or going through lights but even then it's like one to one and a half um one and a half men so it's really interesting that that shows something again about the extreme kind of behavior but I think the stereotypes coming don't they and there's there's things that that we then naturally say because we've got this idea there are stereotypes that are unhelpful Mm -hmm. for men and women how men and women ought to behave at all times and people Mm -hmm. will have experienced that women will have experienced that um, in a really unhelpful way so will men but I do think we're in a moment now where we need to recover what is it that's different about men and women and why Mm -hmm. are some of these things happening one Mm -hmm. final stat I'll, I'll refer to is is um the amount of women CEOs um, that we have in the top kind of companies i think i think there's a stat a couple of, a year or two ago the, the mm-hmm. top 100 companies with six female ceos and that was down from like 11 or something the previous sure. year so that was really, and so people really st- st- you know, stood up or sat up and go right mm-hmm. goodness right we've been really pushing this banging this drum trying to create as many opportunities we can mm-hmm. to, to create this position which requires a lot of high risk mm-hmm. it requires a lot of Uh, gambling uh, in in big situations, really, really significant decision-making. Clearly, there are going to be women who can do that. Um, We've clearly seen that. We've seen these, but we have to be honest sometimes and say these are exceptional cases rather than the norm. So if we create quotas, which require Mm. 50-50, you're going to have to change what a CEO is. And maybe that's what people should do to create opportunities. But I think it's more likely that the companies aren't going to want to do that. Because there's a reason why a CEO role has shaped in the way it has, according to the way the markets work and things mm. like that. So um, some of the things that people have pointed to as to why that is are, the, are fascinating. So, for example, if there's a female in a company who's looking to get promoted over time, she will play by the rules more than the men will. And that could be could be unfair. You need to tell the women to not play by the rules. But when she needs to take time off, mm-hmm. she'll properly book it. Whereas the, the male equivalent will not tell their boss they're doing that. They'll try and find a way of, of wangling this thing to make this trip over here work. And that mm-hmm. could be their time off or whatever. And they could be more sort of addicted to work in this sort of way. So there's all these sort of things that come in which you could look at and go, ah, oh, that's so, so stereotypical. But we're going mm-hmm. off of just you know what people are reporting what people are responding to in interviews Mm. and this kind of thing and doing data research analysis Mm. so it's fascinating we could look at i think we could hold it a bit lightly you don't want to read too much into it but i think it's Mm. more indicative than people Mm. think because it shows again that the narratives are not as clear-cut as we've been told
0: in terms Mm. of the the, the similarities Mm. yeah that's that's fascinating erin i guess one of the things that um our listeners might be thinking is why are we even discussing this though i mean um Uh, It's fascinating to look at all the statistics. It's fascinating to think about, you know, the reasons behind this, but why is this important? And and what does the Bible have to say about this? I think for me, one of the interesting things when I got to the last chapter of Charles Murray's book is he basically says, historically, we have built this understanding of human equality on the doctrine of the idea that we're created in the image of God. That was the a thing that influenced particularly American cultures, influenced Western culture. Now he says, well, of course, now we're in a secular culture. We can no longer appeal to such a kind of theological idea as the basis for human equality. We need to find another basis for it. But interestingly, he doesn't manage to come up with an answer, mm-hmm. which made me think actually it's interesting because I can understand the kind of, he calls them the orthodoxy, the people who want to defend that there's no difference between men and women. Because sure. actually, once you start saying there are biological differences between men and women, why therefore are men and women equally important, equally valuable? Mm -hmm. Um, And you can say the same thing when we talk about differences, maybe between people from different ethnic backgrounds and so on. But actually, if you've got this doctrine that says, actually, our fundamental value comes not because we're all the same, but because we're created in the image of God, that allows the possibility of real difference, but uh, but at the same time preserves equality. Mm -hmm. And it was my kind of hunch getting to the end of the book is I was like well I kind of agree with to a degree the science of the book and the statistics mm. but I also agree with the desire of the orthodoxy people saying actually we want to preserve this idea of human equality and a fear that actually we might move away from that mm. so I think actually as Christians we have got the ability to be able to accept difference and yet at the same time not use that as a way to therefore allow for domination or mm. for injustice. Mm-hmm. And there's difference, but there's also real equality because we've got a fundamental objective basis for it.
2: Yeah, no, Michael, that that makes a lot of sense. And I think, uh, I, I think it's really important, especially that we take that challenge seriously as Christians and go, okay, actually, this is something of an evangelistic witness opportunity for us. Whilst the world is going crazy and crazy on gender, we've talked about transgender ideology in a previous episode. That's related to how we think. Um, We dissolve the differences between men and women. And it's almost as though we've thought about this as a side issue that doesn't really matter that much because it's not the gospel, which is true. I mean, I'm sure there are cultures. We might have some American listeners who might be going, well, you'd think it was the gospel from the way my pastor talks about it. There are certainly cultures where um, almost, yeah, preserving gender difference would be almost become more important than anything else. But I think it's far more important than we've given it credit for. And I think we're seeing and the way the western world is going on this there are a lot of people on the right um political right which would further right that is far right maybe um who are saying really unhelpful things because they they're trying to swing the other way and almost try to sort of so assert the difference that's almost going back to a kind of misogyny on on the further right uh, voices but the christians don't have a very helpful robust response there because we we've been too long Pushing left, we've been too long trying to say things um, to acquiesce with society on gender because we know that we'll get the likes. We know that we'll, if we preach a sermon where we say ninety percent, we apologise for men, um, then the women will be happy with us, and even the men who've been told that they ought to be applauding that kind of thing will be applauding. And so we've been very coward-like in the way um, we've uh, yeah, approached the issue. When actually, if you look, if you look at scripture, it's a huge theme. It's an absolutely huge theme. The fact that God made uh, humans male and female um, both made in the image and likeness of God um, so they both have equal worth and dignity and that's really significant And so I think you know Michael as you say that that issue of oh they don't um, you know the secular world needs to find a new a new way of finding equality well I don't think they can because I think if you leave it to pure nature I think the men left to their own devices would dominate again in the ways that we've seen in loads of other cultures in the world they're always those kind of Uh, markers of male domination in so many cultures, untouched by Christianity. For those, maybe, I don't know if we have any um, radical feminist listeners, but if we do, who would say, well, the only reason there's ever... Male domination is because of you know, certain ideologies like Christianity and, and, and all the stuff in, in scripture about male and female difference um, is teaching people this. Well, you got, you've got cultures anywhere, everywhere, which uh, already seem to move in that direction as well. But what does Christianity offer that's unique here? We have this amazing sense of equal dignity and worth, but definitely separation and difference and, and a kind of wisdom of God in creating male and female different. So it's not just this kind of a theme on the shelf that you can pick up and put down and say, oh, it doesn't really matter that much. It seems to matter to God a great deal. And without going into all the specifics, because I know we'll probably get into all sorts of arguments and debates on another episode about this, about how this works out, let's say, in the home and the church. You you can't deny that even in the New Testament alone, um, let alone the Old Testament, where we have a, a quite strong patriarchal narrative, which we're not, presumably there's nowhere in the Bible which apologizes for that and says, oh, that was bad that fathers would lead their households and and um, take take a certain role in that, and that there would be different characteristics of men and women, even though there's loads of exceptions. There's lots mm. of wonderful difference as well. We see women doing all sorts of amazing things. They have a, an amazing amount of agency in Scripture con- considering the kind of um, extremely patriarchal cultures that they're, um they're speaking in it and and acting and moving in but in the new testament we then see the gospel come we see the new covenant and even there we have all of these texts that preserve the difference between men and women how men and women are to act in, in in different situations i mean i'm not saying it's like the most important theme but it's more important than we've made it and i think we've too often had these texts which we've just put on the shelf and said let's just not worry about that for now because we've got other things to worry about and i think actually christians should look back at some of that and go right Let's really wrestle with the text and go, what does God think about men and women? Why does he want to keep making this point in his word? Why does this come up so often if it's not such a big deal? And I think if we did that, we'd have a much better answer, a more winsome answer to some of the critics who are on both sides of this debate. Those who would want to overly dominate women inappropriately with unhelpful stereotypes. Um, from the male side or, or vice versa um, and the same with on the on the kind of left side of this debate to sort of you know overly accentuate the similarities as though there's no difference and as though there's no wisdom and rationality to why men and women are in fact different and complement mm. one another rather than either
1: being at war or or merging into one kind of melting pot. Mm. I think there's a lot of wisdom in there as we as we as we bring this to a to a to a close in a moment um, Aaron I mean I think I think as you say there, I think the fact we've sometimes in the church try to ignore those questions in scripture or kind of bury them away, we get slightly embarrassed about them. It's almost like there's a sort of skeleton in God's closet, really, of going, let's just let's just pretend that's not there. But I think one of the things I'm increasingly conscious of is that where it's the points at which scripture cut against our our cultural assumptions and where scripture cuts against our own our own preferences that we need to read it the most carefully because of course when you know when when our culture and or when our preferences and scripture line up it's easy to go oh yeah, yeah 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 scripture you know says says i like that that's great but it's when it challenges us we need to be listening the most carefully i always think a lot of things flow from when you get gender wrong i think i think there's a lot of huge problems and big issues in society many of which go back to this um, we mentioned before mary Ebstad's Book, primal scream on what's going on with young women right now i mean she as a catholic writer would trace a lot of those issues back into the sexual revolution and a lot of what went on there was this assumption that okay we need to make men and women look the same in sexuality we need to just basically you know quote unquote liberate women so they can yeah. behave sexually exactly the same way men are and everything will be fine and the result is she said that's you can that you can trace that pathway right down to today with the transgender yeah. movement as, as one thing yeah. has fallen after another so as you said that doesn't mean we want to go back into into, ge- you know, into the way that gender roles were, were I think in some ways, you know, quite negatively fixed historically. I think there's a there's a lot of great stuff that's happened uh, in terms of uh, open, opening up opportunity and dealing with some of you know, for want of a better word, the toxic masculinity and the patriarchal structures. Some of that I think had to be addressed, but I think at the same time we've thrown several babies out with several lots of bathwater. Yeah. And then the last thing that I, I I thought as you were talking there, and this is a topic for another show. There's, there's also, I suppose, the yoga of what you know, what some have called moral therapeutic deism, lurking mm-hmm. behind the scenes. And for listeners who aren't aware of that, that was a term coined by the American uh, sociologist of religion Christian Smith and his colleagues a few years ago when they did this great survey looking at you know religious belief among Christian, especially among, among Christian young adults, especially in the USA. And they disturbingly discovered that what a lot of those folks believe is not historic christianity rather they sort of believe in a distant god whose job is to make you happy um that you know whole purpose in life is to be fulfilled um and uh and and sort of a few other bits and pieces as well into the basket but it's particularly that idea that it's god's job is there to sort of just make us feel happy and fulfilled and have a nice life um and you know once you move into that role of god as therapist rather than god as as lord and creator um then you have a problem because if god is lord and creator he may know some things about gender and the way that we're made that we might not know or that we, we might want to avoid. And rather, mm-hmm. rather than fight against that, maybe actually the better thing to do is to go, okay, maybe I need to listen to that and let, you know, God's view of masculinity and femininity shape our understanding, not this, you know, this sort of idea we've picked up from the culture and what the good life kind of looks like. Um, mm-hmm. Lots to talk yeah. about in future episodes, eh?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just a quick um book that came to mind by the way on I mean there's so many books we could reference on this but on because this come this issue you've just been talking about comes through the lens of um, femininity and how women are often treated, because that's the sort of where the primal well that where the kind of scream of culture comes in that direction you don't have so many advocates going why aren't the men being you know um yeah you know, maybe that's a problem why, why, why aren't we speaking about masculinity more um but there's a book called Eve in Exile and the Restoration of Femininity by Becca Merkel which is really, really good, quite punchy book. It's like you know, trying to argue um, against the kind of stereotypes of the 50s housewife, but at the same time say, no, there's something biblical about femininity, which needs to be recovered for the sake of women, precisely because they're uh, not going to be best served by the kind of agendas that they've seen in culture. And that's the thing that's often driven this. But there's so many, as you say, Andy, so much to talk about. And I'm hopeful that we'll get to some of these things in future episodes. I'm sure we'll uh, have some great uh, disagreements as well, maybe when we get to all sorts of other things.
1: We absolutely will. So we're going to do a series of several podcasts looking at this themes around around gender and uh, because such a big issue in our culture, this has been the first of those. So do uh, do stay with us uh, for more on this topic as we explore some of the many issues that run off this. But in the meantime, I uh, hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And uh, myself and uh, Aaron and Michael will be back with you in a week or so's time for another episode and another deep dive into some of the gaps uh, in a culture that the church is often not talking about. But bye for now. Thank